0: Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Pastor Erwin Raphael McManus, and just wanted to thank you for listening. In case you didn't know, I just released a new book. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And you can order it today at thegeniusofjesus.com. Just a couple things before I dive into some thoughts this morning. And one, I just don't know if you could possibly soak in the amount of detail, endless hours of work, months and months. and what's crazy is we, we would have never been able to shut down Mosaic, South Pasadena for a year and a half to do this. And yet, what would be considered the worst moment in our modern history became an opportune moment where we could do this. And, and that's why you should never underestimate how much good can come out of a moment of crisis. It's just all about reinventing yourself and Re-envisioning the world around you and creating something beautiful out of tragedy. And so I just want you to just take a moment and soak it in and, and just appreciate all the work that has been done and all the beauty that's here. And, and yet with our, our, our volunteer team that was here early, I told myself, I said, as, as as beautiful as this building is, the most spectacular thing here is you. It's you, the people who fill this space that really make this place beautiful. Because they, it would in all of its splendor, still be empty and hollow if it wasn't for the love and the kindness and the compassion of every person that fills this space. And you make this church. It's just a theater without you. And it's beautiful. And and then I, I wanted to just let you know, I am so excited I've been writing books for 20 years, and it's been a part of my life, and I've been writing for probably all my life, but uh, it took 40 years before someone would publish it. And and each book has a really special meaning for me and has a real significance in why I put it together, and and I just have this overwhelming sense that this book, The Genius of Jesus, has an opportunity to make the greatest impact that any book I've ever written has on the world. and you're my community, and I just, man, just if you just get behind, whenever you think about me or the book, just pray for the book to get in the hands of people. When I wrote the book, I wrote the book from a posture of not believing, and I know that sounds kind of strange. And uh, it just a second of backstory: I during the pandemic, I would go to the back house and hide, and uh, so I quarantined myself from the quarantine and. And I was, I, I remember I was having a conversation with myself one day, and as I do, that's why I'm never alone. And, uh, <laughs> and I heard these two voices kind of conflicting inside of me and one of them said, isn't it weird that your life has been changed by someone who lived 2000 years ago? And that was a thought that just came rushing in my head. I thought, it's so weird. I mean, I don't know if you realize it, it's odd that we're here and our lives revolve around someone who lived 2000 years ago. In another part of the world, speaking another language, and yet somehow our lives are changed by him. And and, and I thought, wow, how strange, because I, I never thought that this would happen to me. And then I thought, wow, I, I've either I've either been changed by the reality of Jesus. And then I had this moment of thought: what if, like, what if it isn't real? What if it isn't true? You ever, you ever have those moments? And I thought. Well, I can't deny I've been changed by Jesus. So then this thought came to me, wow, if Jesus isn't real, I've been changed by the idea of Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's the most powerful idea that I've ever absorbed in my entire life. Because that idea has changed me completely. And, and, and then I thought, wow, that is a stroke of genius. And, and, and that's where this book began. Because I, I, I've been studying genius for probably 40 years and I've never seen a list with Jesus on the list. And I thought, how odd that Jesus, the most influential figure in human history, is not on a single list of geniuses. And, and, and that made me start digging deeper and I thought, okay. So I wrote the book from the idea of Jesus, that there's a genius in Jesus that's different than every other genius that's ever been expressed. And, and then, when I finished the book, my editor said, Could you go back and let people know you do believe? And, <laughs> uh, and, which makes my wife, Kim, so happy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I went back and infused my faith in it. But I wanted the book to stand alone, even if I didn't believe. And, and then I wanted the book to have a, another frequency because I do believe. And, and so I think what we have here at the end is something that a person who does believe can be really affected by and something someone who does not believe can be really impacted by. And, and, and so I know it's hard to speak about something you do yourself. And um, I never wanted to write about Jesus because it terrified me because there's already a book about Jesus called the Bible. You know, I, know that, you know, I don't want to compete with that one. And, uh, but, um, but I couldn't shake the fact that at 63, wow, dang. <laughs> You know, and uh, or, or as, as Mariah would say, at the end of your life, dad, and uh, no, nearly old, very old. So I was driving here, and as I'm driving here with Kim, it's always an interesting challenge because I'm focused on having a conversation with you. I'm focused on whatever I'm going to talk about. But Kim wants to talk to me about other things right? And, and, and she'll always pick some profoundly philosophical question, you know, and, and then be upset if I'm not responding. And so as we're driving here, she said, Why, what do you think people are afraid of? And it just came out of the blue. I mean, we were not talking about anything in particular. In fact, I wasn't talking at all. I was being really quiet thinking about coming here. And she interrupted my, my, my focus, my meditation, my quiet time, and to have a conversation. She goes, what do you think people are afraid of? And, and I stayed real quiet for a moment. I said, well, what do you mean by that? She goes, you know, what? people are paralyzed by fear. And then whenever Kim has a conversation, it's usually a small sermon. <laughs> it begins with her perspective of the condition of the world and, and, and then waiting for my response, which is agreement. because when you've been married about 38 years you know that she doesn't really want your position she just wants you to say brilliant that's right that's right honey that's exactly I don't know why I didn't think of that that's exactly how I would have said it if I had been you and but I'm not you and and so she goes what do you think they're afraid of and and I said "Well, what do you mean she goes you know are they with this whole pandemic is like they're afraid of death are they afraid of of getting sick what what are they afraid of what I didn't tell her because I, I thought, wow, this is amazing. See, the, the, the very topic I was coming here to talk to you about was the end of fear. Because everyone keeps talking about the end of things, like the, the end of the pandemic. When is the pandemic going to end? Remember this whole thing we talked about, herd immunity? What happened to that? Or the end of the quarantine, the end of mass, the, 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 the end of, of, uh, of the world. There are some people who say, this is the end of everything. This is the end of freedom. You ever heard that people say, this is the end of of life as we've known it. It's the end of everything. Now, isn't it odd that we keep wanting to know when the end is of everything we cannot control? And that this is so interesting, 2,000 years later, we're having the same conversations with each other that Jesus' disciples had with him. Jesus, when's the end of everything? And then, by the way, Jesus actually said, I don't know. That should make you nervous because, see, here you have, (laughs) Jesus, who steps into human history, God himself taking on flesh and blood saying, I don't know. Or maybe they're saying, it's not something I need to know. Isn't it interesting that he didn't even care? The very thing that they wanted to know, when's all this going to end? He said, it doesn't really matter. In fact, later they came back and asked him again, after he was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. So when someone has been resurrected, you figure they have some insights on death and the end of everything. And they said, you know, Jesus, when's it all gonna end, and he said, Wrong question. Stop asking when everything's gonna end and start asking what you should be beginning. And what's interesting to me is that all the things we want to know when is it gonna end are the things we cannot control. But the one thing you can control, you never ask when will it end. So you cannot control the pandemic, even if you're the president of the United States. You cannot control the quarantine, you cannot control all the variants, the Delta variant and the Alpha variant and every other variant that's out there. There's so many things you cannot control that you're trying to bring to an end, but the one thing you can end is the power of fear over your life. And yet it's the one thing we don't focus on. So I, I wanted to make sure on the same page, so I looked up fear and my friend Daniel Webster, and I always have conversations about etymologies, and, and this is the definition of fear, just so we can be on the same page. This is a distressing, which is a good way to start. How many have felt distressed over the last 18 months? A distressing emotion, even the non-emotional people have been distressed. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, I like the next one, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. It's an emotion aroused by a threat that is either real or imagined. So when Kim was asked me the question, what are we afraid of? It feels like that's the right question. But what it does for us is it actually confuses us about how fear actually works. So without just making everything about fear, I want to start with the end game. I want to just read a particular passage to you because it's where we're going, it's where we're going to end and it's what I want you to remember. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, this is God speaking to Joshua. You know this verse if you have any familiarity with the scriptures. God says this, "Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous." Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And by the way, the word discouraged, if you just break it down, means without courage. And so when you're discouraged, you are absent of courage. And I want you to notice here, he says, have I not commanded you? Now, I know people talk at times about the commands in the Bible, the things you're commanded to do. And most of the time, we focus about all the commands of things you're not supposed to do. Right, Because those are the Ten Commandments, the Ten Don'ts. And so we know that we're commanded not to kill each other. That's a great recommendation. Oh, no, I mean command. Right? He says do not steal each other's stuff. He says do not commit adultery. There are certain commands in those Ten Commands. And those are the commandments that so oftentimes we focus on. But I want you to notice something. This is not a recommendation. This is not a suggestion. This is actually a command. He says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And so he's actually commanding us to not live a life of fear. Has it ever occurred to you that, that the emotion, the space between you and the life God imagines for you, the space between you and the life God wants you to live, the space between you and the life God created you to live, the space between you and the life you long for is filled with fear. And, and that if you live your life navigating away from your fear, you will never get to the place you you long for. You will never get to the life you imagine, you'll never get to the life you hope for, because no matter what you dream of, I don't even need to know your dream. See, if you have a dream of a different life, if you have a dream of a different you, if you have a dream of a different future, I know that what fills the space between you and that dream is fear. And you have to figure out how not to go around that fear, you have to figure out how to navigate through that fear. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you are a person who's informed by the scriptures, you need to know that courage is a command, not a recommendation. Courage is not secondary. It is essential. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That's easy to say. But you only say that to people who are afraid. And I think sometimes we forget in the Bible when there's a huge conversation about something it's because there's an absence of something. I mean, think about the name Joshua. When we think of the name Joshua, you usually think of someone who's so courageous, so powerful. I mean, people name their kids Joshua because they want their kids to be like Joshua. They want to be strong and courageous. And yet, the reality is that Joshua was afraid and discouraged. And so if you name your kid Joshua, you're going, okay, you're going to be inherently afraid and discouraged. But it's okay. Because there's gonna be a day you're gonna be at a crossroad in your life, and you might hear this voice that says to you, I'm commanding you to not be afraid or discouraged. See, the reason we remember Joshua as someone of courage is not because he was inherently courageous. We remember him as courageous because he stepped through his fears to the place God had called him to live out his life. But the problem is that while fear is a distressing emotion, courage is not an emotion. You don't feel courageous, you just are. You know, a lot of times when a person feels courageous, they're not doing anything courageous. You see, here's the terrifying thing. When you live by fear, you feel fear. And when you live by courage, you feel fear. <laughs> That's not what you expected, right? oh, come on, come on, come on. Oh, I want to feel, yes. See, there's no way around feeling fear. Unless you're just stupid. I mean, when people say, oh, I'm not afraid of anything, I go, oh, you're just not very bright. Because you see, if, if nothing provokes the emotion of fear, you just don't get it. You don't understand life. You don't know the reality of what's going on out there. See, it's, it's not cynics and skeptics who see the danger. It's people who have a realistic perspective on reality. And if you think that courage will somehow eliminate the emotion of fear, you don't understand. You will feel fear regardless. So if you're gonna feel fear if you live a life of fear, and if you're gonna feel fear if you live a life of courage, why not live a life of courage anyway? Let's talk a little bit about the psychological nature of fear what makes you afraid jake goss is the husband of my beautiful little girl mariah our little girl and i learned i didn't know this that jake is afraid of snakes and, and now i just see all these photographs of snakes i want to send him i don't know why i just have this like you know, and i've been thinking of all these snake possibilities and because i realized i didn't know jake was afraid of snakes because jake just seems to me to be a guy that wouldn't be afraid of snakes but he's afraid of snakes now that you know that you have power. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, what are you afraid of? There are, there are things that, that make us afraid, and we think that those objects are the source of our fear. I mean, growing up, I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of dogs. I was afraid of roller coasters. I, I was afraid of heights. I was afraid of of crowds. I was afraid of of dark spaces. Anybody af- grew up afraid of the dark? Like. I was afraid of everything and I, 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 what I didn't realize is that those objects were not the source of my fear. So you might be here saying, so, oh no, I'm afraid of dogs. Or I'm afraid of, of cats, which makes sense. And you uh, <laughs> say, "You know, I'm afraid of crowds or, I want you to realize that whatever you think you're afraid of, that is not the object of your fear. That is not the source of your fear. You see, death is not the source of your fear, death has no capacity to evoke fear in you. You are the source of your fear. And you find an object on which to place your fear. So if you're afraid of the dark, it's not the dark that makes you afraid. You are afraid and you found the dark as a place to place it. See, if you're afraid of the future, the future isn't causing your fear. It's not not the source of your fear. You are the source of your fear and your future is the object you placed it on. And so Kim asked him, what are people afraid of? When I talk to people who are so afraid right now, and I have to tell you, we have a heightened fear right now in our culture. People are living with overwhelming fear. And as I listen to them, I realize they don't even know what they're afraid of. They're not sure. I mean, even with COVID, I'm not sure what they're afraid of. They're like, they're afraid of death, but kind of. But they're also afraid of getting sick, but kind of. But they're also afraid of of losing their minds because COVID might do that to their brain, kind of. But they're afraid of infecting someone else, but not really. They're not really sure. They're just afraid. And I was in a conversation this week in a business environment where everyone was asked to wear masks inside the room. So I'm wearing a mask, everyone's wearing a mask. And one of the people in charge started saying that they have a four-year-old daughter and they, their daughter wears a mask and, and everywhere they go and they're a little bit apprehensive about getting their, their daughter and other kind of activities with the kids. And and then and then she start, she started like spewing all this data about all the states where everything's going bad. I mean, she, had, she spent some time studying it. And I was listening to her going, that data could be interpreted multiple ways, but this is not my meaning. And I don't have any need to, con- to transform her view of things. And, and so she just went on and on and on. And finally I looked at her and I said, wow, you're really afraid, aren't you? She goes, yes, I am so afraid. And I, I just thought it was so interesting. She, she's using science and data and, 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 and you know, research demographics. And it's none of that. It's confirmation bias. When you're terrified, you find a reason to validate your fear. I said, you're, you're, you're really afraid? She goes, yes, I am. I'm so afraid, I'm afraid of everything. She goes, but I've always been afraid of everything. And she went on and on about being afraid. And I said, you know, I'm the opposite. So I'm not afraid of anything in a practical way. Whatever brings me fear, I just go in that direction. She goes, you're like my dad. And I, I could tell that was not a compliment. And, uh, <laughs> and I began realizing as I've talked to more and more people that, see, there are a lot of people who were already living in fear, but the world felt safe. And it wasn't safe, by the way. It was an illusion that you gave yourself so that you could function every day. See, before COVID, there were diseases out there that could get you, there were. Before the Delta variant, you could have got hit by a car. I remember when I had cancer. I remember the three weeks from the moment the doctor told me I had cancer, and then I was going to have to have surgery, and the six hours of surgery, I remember those three weeks during Christmas season, I, I went and got our, our, our car detailed and fixed up because we were going to give it away. I was driving it home from the place that had done all the work. I was three blocks from the house, a white truck speeds through a stop sign, hits me head on, crushes their car and our car, totals them both, and I had this thought, I'm not even going to get to die cancer. <laughs> like, I'm going to... I mean, at least they gave me three weeks with the cancer and now, (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but it's a dangerous world. And the only way you survive this dangerous world is not to focus on the danger, but to focus on the opportunity and the promise and possibility in this life. But what's happened, what's happened is that we now have this cultural narrative where the only way to get you to do the right thing is to be afraid. Now, do the right thing, just don't do it for the wrong reason. And I, I knew, I, I, 18 months ago, people asked me, what do I think about what's happening with the, with the quarantine and, and the, uh, the virus? I said, there's a lot going on, it's really complicated, I'm not a scientist, I don't understand all the ins and outs of it, but I do know this. This is gonna be a really tricky moment because cowards and heroes are being asked to do the same thing. Because if you're a coward, you're being asked to hide in your house. And if you're a hero, you're being asked to hide in your house. And so the danger is going to be that a person is actually making a courageous decision. They're saying, I'm in a quarantine because I care about the good of others. It looks just like the person says, I'm going to run and hide because I don't want to die. What do you do when you have a season where fear and courage look like the same thing? And then all of a sudden, the page turns. And now you discover what fueled your actions. See, we're in a moment in time right now where those who live by fear are going to be paralyzed at a level that has never been seen in in the modern world. And those who have courage are going to elevate and live life at a level people never imagined. See, this isn't new for us. I just wanna go through a couple of passages. Fear, I was like, where did fear begin? This is the first place in the Bible fear is ever recorded. It's in Genesis chapter three. It only took us three chapters to get there. And we didn't even exist really in chapter 1, so we were really overachievers in this. And, you know, God has walked through the garden. You know what happened. Adam and Eve made a decision that God told not to make to eat from the one tree they were forbidden to eat. They were naked and ashamed. And, and God walks through the garden and has a conversation with them. And, and God says to Adam, why are you hiding? And, um, and the man answers, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid And so this is the first time human beings are recorded to be motivated by fear, and the result of fear is hiding. And one of the things that you find about fear is that fear is our inadequacy turned into an emotion. See, if you are being fueled by fear, if you're gripped by fear, if you're being defined by fear, I want you to realize that that fear is your inadequacy being translated into an emotion. And the moment you feel you're not enough for this moment, the moment you feel like the, the situation, the circumstance around you is too big for you, you're going to have this overwhelming sense of inadequacy. It's going to feel like fear. And that's why death can be so looming because, well, it seems like no one wins over death, which, by the way, is why Jesus is so important because he did. See, you may be afraid of failure because you don't think you can overcome failure. So you, it, it, failure becomes proof of your inadequacy. Some of you, forget the pandemic, forget the quarantine, some of you are just, you're afraid to love. You're afraid to move into a meaningful relationship with another human being because you've tried to be intimate, you've tried to be open, you've tried to open up your heart to someone, you've tried to risk in love and your heart's been broken and you're so afraid because you feel inadequate and you're wondering, can anyone ever love me completely? See, some of you are are doing a job you hate because you don't have the courage to go find the job you'd love. Because fear is actually holding you back because you feel inadequate to actually receive the career you long for. You know, one of the huge lies in my own life was that I didn't deserve that. Right? You know, why would you get that? Have you ever had a dream or an ambition, a longing in your life, but there's a little voice inside it just telling you, why you? Why should you have that? Why, why, why should you have someone who loves you unconditionally? Why, why should you have that career that's so fulfilling that it actually becomes an expression of your passions? Why, why should you have that, that accomplishment that, that everyone else thinks you're incapable of, but you just keep knowing inside of you that this is something you should try? See, everything inside of you that God has placed in you is gonna send you right into the ocean of fear. See, I think sometimes when we're followers of Jesus, we go, what's God's will for my life? And we think that God's will will move us around fear, right? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great you go, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do because there's no fear there. See, here, here's one way I can help you. All right, A lot of people, what do I do? I don't know what God's will for my life is. If it doesn't make you afraid, it's not your calling. Okay. By the way, even in relationships, If it doesn't make you afraid to lose that person, you don't care enough about them. If you're not afraid to lose your job, you're not passionate enough about that job. And a lot of times what we don't realize is that the things that we love most in life, they actually become the environment for the most fear. But there's this beautiful relationship in the scriptures because even though there's voices inside of us that say you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, I am not enough. Because see, fear is always sourced from the core it's always sourced within us it's not the fear of failure it's not the fear of death it's not the fear of of the Delta variant it's not the fear of getting sick it's not the fear of losing the job it's not the fear of losing the relationship. It's the fear that you're not enough and so you run and you hide Jesus says this in Matthew 10 I love the way he talks so naturally about fear. In verse 26, he says this, so do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim to the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. That's easy for Jesus to say, right? He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He's like, they have no power. Like, feels like it. He goes, no, 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 don't let them confuse you. They can can kill your body, but they can't touch your life. He says, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a little terrifying. And then Jesus goes on and says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Listen to this. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head will all be numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What Jesus is saying is actually you have value in the heart and mind of God. You have infinite value, and and so those moments where you feel inadequate, those moments you feel like you're you're not worthy of love, you need to realize that God knows every single spirit that falls, and he cares so much more deeply about you. And so don't let fear seep into your soul because you, you feel you're not worthy of being in God's presence. I mean, think about this. Adam and Eve messed up, they ran and hid from God, and God went looking for them. Do you think God didn't know? God knew exactly what they did, but he still wanted them in his presence. They were the ones who assumed that God would not want them anymore. I don't care what you've ever done, what choice you've ever made, how much you've ever messed up. Don't let that voice in your head tell you that God no longer wants you. Because even when you're most broken, I think God is most determined to find you and grab a hold of you and bring you close. But what's fascinating to me about fear is that not only is fear the emotion created through our sense of inadequacy, but what, what's fascinating is that fear is actually the absence of love. See, fear is not so much the absence of courage, but the absence of love. Because courage is really the, the manifestation of a choice of a person filled with fear. Listen to what 1 John four eighteen says, there is no fear in love. Hear that again, there is no fear in love. And you need to listen to the flip side of it. There's no love and fear. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know where you are in the spectrum of fear and courage. But I want you to realize that the spectrum is not fear and courage. It's fear and love. And the more you live your life, Absolutely confident in God's love for you the less you live your life controlled and paralyzed by fear. And I can tell you, Kim and I have been married 38 years and we have great days, we have bad days. Mostly because of me. But I'm never afraid that Kim doesn't love me. See, I always have the certainty. I go, she may not like me today because I'm not likable today. But I I have no doubt that she loves me. And and what that love does is it eliminates so many bad choices in my life. Because that that perfect love, that love casts out all fear. You never have to live your life by fear when you're actually living your life in love. And so you end up in this this odd relationship. See, because fear allows your life to be controlled by what I would call superstition you begin to identify every negative thing that could happen even though it will never happen. I have two special people here with me today. One, you may not have met our other daughter, Patty. She's right here in the front row. And she's here today. And her daughter, Mia, is here. So it's kind of awesome to have you guys here. But when, when Aaron was growing up and Mariah were growing up, they always had Patty. Now, Patty is from Mexico and she, always spoke English because she didn't speak English when we met her, so she always spoke English with a very strong accent. Now Aaron grew up speaking English with an accent because Patty was the closest person to him. And I said, Patty talked to him in Spanish. She goes, no, I want to practice my English. But the problem is that it was broken English and Spanglish. And so Aaron didn't know English or Spanish when he was growing up. And (laughs) so it was a little tricky. And then she came with all these superstitions from home in Mexico. And I remember one day I walked to the living room and Aaron pointed to the lightning outside. He goes, and he was maybe four years old or five, and he said, look, lightning. And I heard Patty said, don't point to the lightning. It'll give you warts. (laughs) (laughs) And I I had this thought because, you know, that's a problem, but but what I I started thinking is, I wonder how many other things she's taught him (laughs) that, have no basis in reality (laughs) and you know because you have a kid going no 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 don't do that (laughs) and and see I I wonder how many of us actually have all these layers of superstition because of fear in our lives and and the reason you're limited from living the life God created you is is not because there's any real limitation holding you back but it's these these self-imposed narratives that you've allowed fear to write inside of your soul and what the scriptures tell us is that perfect love casts out all fear. So I, you know, I, I'd love to do some kind of like, you know, I don't know, you know, self-development program right now. I can go, don't be afraid. I can get y'all jumping right now. No fear, no fear, no fear, right? It'd be kind of awesome, right? Courage, courage, courage. But the moment you walk out, you're gonna be afraid again. <laughs> And it'll look really awkward when you go into that business meeting and you go, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. And they're like, what's going on? I'm I'm just, self-talk, self-talk. But here's the reality, if you want to live a life where fear has no power over you, live a life where love encompasses you. So when you live a life of love, you'll always make every decision for the good of others. And you will not live your life in fear that even the harm others wish towards you can ever stop you from living the life you're created to live. Because fear, remember, never comes from the object. That is not the source. You are the source of that fear. And if you can actually replace that fear with love, by the way, that's why Jesus is so important. Because when you open your life to Jesus and you invite him into your life, you're inviting love to have rule over you to shape every aspect of who you are and perfect love casts out all fear. Let me just leave you just another thought. See, what we want is we want somehow to find a way to turn fear into courage, but, but really what happens is that love transforms fear into courage. When you love someone, your actions begin to look like courage. Did you see that video? I can't remember who it was. It was, it was this um, NBA basketball player, his, his kid fell into the pool and he wasn't even in the photo, he wasn't even in the video. And all of a sudden you see this body fly through the video, jump in fully closed, pull out his kid while everyone else was closer to the pool. And I've been in that situation before. See, I, I was actually at a house with people when a baby fell into a pool. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm getting up, I'm gonna run and save that child. But way from the distance, that little child's mom ran past us, jumped in the pool, pulled that baby out in an instant. And I know why. She loved her child more than I did. And so her action happened so fast, there seemed to be almost no reaction time in between. I I, I felt so terrible because I know, I tell you, I know I was going to jump into that pool. It just just took me too many fragments of a second to process, did I want to get my clothes wet? Should I take my shoes off first? See you don't admit those things. I'm here to be transparent. Because those are the thoughts that go through your mind when you care about someone a little. (laughs) When they kind of matter to you. But when you love someone, all the questions become clear. Because there's only one question you have to answer. What do I do to act in love? There are a lot of choices in your life you've been putting off and it's because they are not fueled by love. A lot of hard decisions you haven't made because you're not fueled by love. A lot of relationships you haven't fixed because you're not fueled by love. There are a lot of choices in your life that are waiting to be made. And if you can actually begin to live your life by love, you will begin to live a life of courage. Because courage is fueled by love. And love casts out all fear. And... And the scriptures are so clear. I love this imagery in Proverbs 28. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I, I get to be a part of a lot of like business events and get to be around a lot of people who are super successful. And another, I think a week ago I was in San Diego with all these guys who, whose companies make minimally 100 million a year and they all paid $100,000 to be there. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money to pay to be at an event. And one of the things that I realize is that, that you can be really courageous in making money and be a coward when it comes to relationships. You can be super courageous when it comes to wealth and be a coward when it comes to character. That, that a lot of times we, we buy the Lamborghini to compensate for all of our fear. We, we live the Instagram life to compensate for all the things that we're hiding in our souls. And I think what's really to me most important in life is to ask the question, what am I running from? And what am I running to? Because the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I keep going back to Kim's question, what are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? And the real question is, why are you afraid? See, because you'll find something to justify your fear. If you don't deal with the fear that haunts you, that controls you, that owns you. There's a passage in the Bible that's always so odd to me. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because I think, oh, wait a minute, why should we be afraid of God? Right? But then when you connect the dots, you go, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Perfect love casts out all fear, God is love then the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know what the Bible's actually telling you? Whatever you fear has mastery over your life. And if you're afraid of heights, you stay low. If you're afraid of people, you stay alone. If you're afraid of snakes, you stay in New Zealand (laughs) or Hawaii or wherever it is. Whatever you fear will establish the boundaries of your freedom. But when you fear nothing but God, God's perfect love destroys the power of fear over your life. And when you live in that freedom, then you learn what it means to live. We are here because Jesus died 2000 years ago so that we could be free, that we could live a life fueled by love. We are the end of fear. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Maybe you're here today and you've never crossed the line of faith and trusted Jesus with your life. Maybe you've been afraid to trust God with your life. You didn't know what that would mean. But I want you to realize when you cross the line of faith, when you give your life to Jesus, what you're giving yourself to is love. What you're giving yourself to is hope. What you're giving yourself to is forgiveness. What you're giving yourself to is freedom. So, don't let fear lie to you. Everything your soul longs for is on the other side of that line of faith when you give your life to Jesus. And if that's you right now, if you're ready just to trust Jesus with your life, if you're ready to stop letting fear limit you and control you, maybe even define you, then right now I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. It's just one sentence, it's not everything you and God need to talk about, but it's where it begins. Right now, just pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. This is your prayer. I want you to know that today is the beginning of a new future for you. Today is the death of fear and the beginning of freedom. Would you look up just for a moment? If you're here and today was the day you finally invited Jesus into your life, and I wanna tell you this is the most important decision you will ever make. It is the beginning of the new you, of a new future. And where Jesus takes you, there is always freedom. Where Jesus takes you, there's always love. Where Jesus takes you, there's always hope. And isn't it good to know That you may not be able to end the pandemic and you may not be able to end the quarantine and you may not be able to end all the wars in the world. and You may not be able to end the economic chaos, but you can bring an end to fear in your life. By allowing that fear, by the way, years ago, someone, you know, talked about leaders being eagles and they said, you know, Erwin, are you like an eagle or, you know, and I said, no, eagles, they fly high and they can see things from a wide distance and hawks, they have focus and they can see that, that, that rodent running through the field and they have focus. I'm not an eagle or a hawk, I'm like a bat. And uh, I, I just like, I, I'm running, I'm flying blind in a dark cave going, ah! And when I hear, and the sound comes back, I, you know, the radar hits me and I know how to keep moving through and, and, you know, because I think life is so much more mysterious and uncertain than we ever expect. And one of the things that I love about who Jesus is, is that he doesn't remove the uncertainty from your life. He just teaches you how to fly even when it's dark and you're always moving forward into a future that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.